Hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 309, and today I'm excited because we are going to be talking about a, another business that someone asked us to look at. It's a, a hot seat session, we're going to call this. I've got my good friend Chris Schaefer on. What's going on, Chris? How you doing, man? Not too much, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, it's our, I guess, our first hot seat since being back from the holidays and stuff. So it's kind of fun. Uh, we've been uh, kind of busy doing our own things, putting out some some fires in our own businesses, right? I think that's what you said uh, before we got on here. You're like, uh, yeah, I just been putting out some fires. That's kind of what I'm doing. Just putting out fires. You got to firefight a little bit. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the fun? Yeah, and you know, for anyone that's wondering, the I, you know, for for the fires, we're meaning like answering emails and people needing certain things or customers or whatever, or maybe someone that you're working with. Uh, it's just something you have to deal with. That's why you don't really want to open your emails up until you got that one or two things done in the beginning of the day. That's at least my rule, because if not, I'll be, you know, I'll be deep diving into some emails and some communications and, uh, then we kind of get off track and we don't want to do that. So yeah, firefighting, right. no, no, nothing actually was on fire. Nothing was actually on fire, but uh, it feels like fires to a lot of people like, oh my right. gosh, what's going to happen? This thing's going to blow up or this isn't working. And which is going to kind of talk about today a little bit. We are going to be, I guess, not putting out a fire, but helping to possibly put out a fire. And I wouldn't really call this a fire. It's it's just something that, uh, you know, I think with all of our businesses, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be changes. It was funny. I was, uh, I was interviewing a, a recent guest and he said to me like every six months, he's adapting to the changes or to the ups and the downs because you're always having these things change and it's just business. And especially if you're just selling on one platform, you're really trying to pay a you know, attention or closer attention to that because that's your lifeblood. That's your, that's your one channel. And that's why we've talked about, we don't want that to be our only channel. So we want to build things around that, which we're not going to go into that right now. You guys have heard us, you know, talk about that quite a bit, but, uh, we do want to pay attention to this stuff, and uh, Gary actually uh, emailed me and said, "Hey, you know, I got this, you know, this issue. I've been selling for a little while, and uh, I'd love your input on that." And I see that there was a lot of different things that we could talk about, and that's why I wanted to kind of turn this into a hot seat because uh, you know I think that people will get value out of us kind of like brainstorming back and forth of what we what we think is happening. Again, we're we're just. We're guessing here in a sense, but we're also looking at other things in the past that might have made these certain things happen, plus give some advice to maybe get things moving or just analyze it and kind of give a, a third party, uh, I, I guess, look at it. So, Chris, with all that being said, I should probably mention the show notes. Uh, if anyone wants to grab the transcripts or the show notes to this episode, it will be 309. So, again, theamazingseller.com forward slash 309. Usually after we get done with these People always email me and say, Scott, that was awesome. I love the hot seat. So if you have something that you think would make a great hot seat, you're more than welcome to submit it. You can send it to me, scott at theamazingseller.com. I cannot promise that I will do it for everyone because we can't. There's just not enough hours in the day, but uh, definitely send them in. And if I can help you, I will. And if not, at least I can maybe guide you with some resources or something that will will help uh, your situation. So Chris, with that mouthful that I just said, <laughs> uh, can you uh, maybe read a little bit of the question that came through from Gary? Absolutely. Uh, so Gary let us know. He said, I have a 
uh, niche business and website. We sell on our own website. We have a local warehouse store here uh, where he is. We sell on Amazon and eBay. We started about three months ago and sell very little. We also wholesale to small resellers all over the world. I was actually approached by Amazon three years ago to sell on their marketplace as they saw my products as an under-addressed niche on their site. As you know, they want to control the entire world, which is not <laughs> too far from the truth. True. Um, we've grown consistently for the last three years, and we're averaging about 25 to 30 orders per day on Amazon and about two, uh, two products per order. Not exactly gangbusters, although I would argue, Gary, that that's pretty darn good yeah. uh, for a lot of people. And after hearing you, I think I now realize that we're below our full potential. All of our orders are shipped from our office abroad. Amazon contacted me about a year ago about selling FBA. They insisted that this is the best way to succeed. We check each product individually in our warehouse before shipping anything for Amazon, which we don't do for other orders for things like eBay. As to my obsession with keeping our stellar track record with Amazon, so so props on that. Yes. Due yes. to this, I was reluctant to move from the Fulfilled by Merchant Marketplace to FBA. After setting up for about a half a year now, we're sending our first box of 10 of our best sellers uh, to FBA. And as of our recording of this, they actually are in stock based on what you and I can see. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just stop there for one second because some people may uh, not understand what Amazon is doing and kind of what they proposed. Maybe you can break that down a little bit and kind of we can talk about like the pros and cons to that uh, and you know, kind of dig in a little bit there because some people be like, oh my gosh, Amazon wants to sell my stuff exclusively. That would be awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> so there's, there's two things that sounds like Amazon has, has approached Gary about in the past. One is becoming a vendor to Amazon. So wholesaling to Amazon, right? Which is, is both good and bad. And we have some friends, uh, like our buddy, Nick Gamble, who is approached to do this. Yes. Um, and in his case, it actually is gonna make sense because he can sell it to them for a pretty darn good price. Mm. Um, in a lot of cases, it doesn't make sense because you're going to lose a lot of profit. Sure. Right. Sure. So, you know, it, it depends and I know you love when I say that, but I do. It, it does depend on the opportunity, right? And for somebody like Gary, it might not be a total loss because he does already have wholesale relationships, so he knows his numbers there. But if you're selling 20 to 30 a day on Amazon and you think you can tweak it, it's still worth going after yourself to keep that extra margin. If it's not sucking up tons of your day and tons of your capital, then it's worth doing yourself, in my opinion. And, and for me, it would always be worth at least trying yourself first. If you're if you have pro existing products that you could wholesale to Amazon, I would still at least try selling it yourself first to see what you can get out of it. And then, you know what you're losing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes it makes total sense because, again, it's it's a volume deal, right? If you can get more volume because Amazon's controlling it and, and kind of pushing the product for you and all you have to do is just supply them with the you know, with the product, then that's a great deal, right? But in the same breath, if you want to play around with price or if you want to increase your margins, you're not going to really be able to do that because you're not going to be able to say, hey, Amazon, you know what? By the way, I want to start charging you an extra dollar or two per unit just because right. I want to make They'll more money. go find it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what you have to, I guess, come to terms with. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as like, you know, again, what I'm seeing here is that, you know, Gary has already been selling this wholesale to other places. So again, like you said, he knows what his margins are, what he's comfortable with 
uh, you know, with wholesale, what the what the wholesaler can then sell it for. Because again, you're 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 selling it to someone else to then again make a profit on it. And Amazon's all about even small margins; they're okay with you know because they're going to do tons and tons of volume. Um, so I personally would just be careful with that. But if the numbers make sense, then then go for it. But you also have to understand that they're going to have the control now. Uh, and you're just going to have to be like, okay, I'm going to sell it to you for this price and that's what it's going to be. And you're not going to really be able to negotiate that. Now, I don't know hundred percent if you can negotiate that after 12, 12 months, or if there's a certain time frame that you can do that. I've never done it. So I don't know. Um, I would think that you could, but again, like you said, Chris, at that point in time, they can just go, well, we'll just go make it over somewhere else and we'll just bypass you. Right. We now know exactly how much this product sells. We'll make it ourselves, which is one of the concerns that, that a lot of people have with Amazon. Amazon doesn't generally do, but they could, right? right that's always right. A, a that's always a possibility. So, long story short, wholesale is kind of a completely different business model. Somebody like Gary is already doing it, so it might not be a terrible opportunity for him if he were to reapproach Amazon about it. Um, but you also are selling twenty five to thirty a day at retail, which means you're making twice as much. Mm. So, as long as you know, as long as you can still get the same volume of products in. I, to me, it's worth selling it yourself because that's probably about what Amazon is going to sell, you know, doing the same level of stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's easier for you to scale it than it is for Amazon because Amazon isn't focused on your particular listing if they're the the vendor for your product. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Like they're not sitting up at night thinking to themselves how they can sell your product more. Right. They're just going to put it into their ecosystem and let it kind of do its thing. And that's fine. But in the same breath, it's not their it's not their baby. Right. It's not their thing. So you just have to. And especially if you want control of all of that stuff, I I just say it's got to make sense. It really has to make sense. And it sounds like because you are so niche. Uh, or niche, uh, depending on who we're talking with here, uh, you know, it, it just to me, it's like you have carved out this this nice little little niche that you can be the specialty, and it sounds like you can be the leader in this marketplace. So uh, I like that. I like that a lot, especially if we're talking about list building, like we've talked about in the past. And there's a lot of cool things that you could probably do um, to to get awareness of your your products. And uh, and there's definitely to me, there's definitely like you know, a mission statement in a sense behind your brand, which again, we aren't going to go into that, but I do see that. I see that as being like someone that wants this, this type of thing. Uh, and I guess to just kind of throw it out there, like organic, like if you were an organic foods person, like you're going to want to go after the person that is, is standing behind the organic food, you know, trend. Uh, that's at least my perspective on that, Chris. No. And I, I, I think that's great. And just just seeing a little bit of what Gary is selling, I think there's absolutely uh, a fantastic market for this stuff and for list building specifically True. around yeah. this. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's that's an interesting uh, an interesting approach. So Gary had a couple of questions that he asked us, Scott. So let's dive into to question one here. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, read that says, if you would. Now for the first question, our sales have dropped sharply since about two months ago. We were averaging about 20% month over month gains, which is really good. Yep. Our sales dropped 20% below last year in late October and have stayed there. So not only did he not get his gain, but it went below where he was selling at that point last year. Uh, we've maintained high seller ratings. Just not sure what happened. I now see random searches for our best keywords 
that we no longer have six products on the first page, which, by the way, guys, six products on the first page is killer. <laughs> yeah, if is. you can if you have that luxury, um, including many first and second row positions, we have two and they're only in the lower row. So he went from six to two, which means he dropped four products off the first page. Right. Right. Which to me is part of <laughs> probably the main reason that sales drop so much. Sure. Oh, yeah. Every item that ranks ahead of us is being fulfilled via Amazon and is prime eligible. Would this be the reason that we've dropped so sharply? Was there a change in Amazon's policies? So if you guys didn't catch it when I was reading through the big chunk earlier, Gary is manufacturer fulfilling all of these products um, and he's fulfilling them from abroad actually. So, you know, it takes a couple days. People are paying for the shipping in addition to what they're paying for the product. He wants to know, should he be using FBA? And, you know, kind of after he formulated this question, he did let us know that they're sending in some of their best sellers so that they are taking advantage of FBA. There wasn't necessarily a change in Amazon's policy. They may just be factoring it in higher. Generally, when you see a ranking drop like this, it's because the other people are just selling more. Mm -hmm. Now, being prime eligible obviously is a huge portion of that. Huge. Because to me, I I tend to see a 15 to 20 percent bump. for prime eligible products versus FBM products. That just tends to be the way that it works. And the reason for that is people like me as a buyer, I filter for prime eligible products. I don't buy FBM. A products. lot of people, a lot of people do. My my wife's cousin was I was just talking to her the other day, just about Amazon, about buying and and stuff. And I always like to listen to people's buying patterns and and what they do. And she's like, Oh, I only search for Prime. I don't. I that's all I search for. So that's going to become even more. So if you aren't Prime eligible, you're not even showing up in the search, right? Because I checked. There's a there's a little box yep. along the left hand side yep. that says uh, "Show me Prime eligible products." Basically, yep. I don't know exactly what it says. I think it just says yeah. It says Prime. Yeah, it just says Prime uh, with the Prime logo under there. I might even just say underneath that free shipping, and then there's another one. Uh, you know, it could be something else that's filtered um, by that by that search. Uh, but yeah, it's usually prime. And if if there's no one that's prime, it's not even going to be there. So you can't even search by that. But it's yeah, generally prime, and then uh, and then it'll have free free shipping under that if you just wanted to find someone that built the, the shipping into their price, but then isn't prime. Yeah, uh, it's funny, so, Chris. Be, before we jump in, uh, I was actually on with our good friend Dom the other night. We were doing a little bit of retail arb stuff. Uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, we. We're, we're kind of playing around with that that business model a little bit. Uh, my daughter actually is uh, is playing around with it. She was here over the holidays, and she's uh, in transition with a move that she's going to be doing here in the next few months. Her uh, fiance is in the Navy and stuff, and uh, her business is, is client-based. So she was like, you know, I'm just trying to find something part-time. I'm like, you should just do retail ARB. I go, you know, it wasn't for me because I, I just don't have the time, but for you, it's a great opportunity. But anyway, long story short is we were going through this as far as like finding sellers that were selling a product that's fulfilled by by merchant and not fulfilled by Amazon um, or Prime. I'm you know, and so because of that, that gave you an advantage. So you would look for that in your criteria. So the same thing here is if if you're whether you're retail arb or whether you're selling your own private label product, if you're prime, that's going to give you an advantage because people will search by that. And even though there might be 20 people selling the same thing, if you are the the one that has prime and you have decent reviews, obviously then you're going to get the sale. You know, it's that right. simple. So just wanted to throw that out there, a little caveat there. 
Yeah. So, you know, Gary basically wants to know everybody before us is prime. Is this the reason we, we may have dropped so sharply? I would say it's it's definitely a part of the reason, right? Because the reason you're dropping in ranking and for those of you guys who don't know, the primary ranking factor on Amazon seems to be sales, yeah. right? Yeah. So if someone else is selling more than you, they're going to move up. And as a result, you can't both be number one. So someone has to move down. Right. And that's going to be you if you're not selling as many. And it's related specifically to each search term, right? So if there's somebody selling more than you on each individual search term, you're going to move down. They're going to move up. Prime is definitely a contributing factor to that. So Gary, I think you're, you're headed in the right direction there by making your top sellers prime eligible. The other thing that I would take a look at is I would take a look and it's, it's just kind of going back to basics, right? And we all think, and I saw it actually in, in the PLC yesterday as well. Somebody said, well, I know my listing isn't, the, I know my title isn't the problem. I know the keywords aren't the problem. The answer is you don't until you test it, mm, right? Yeah. So we think we know a lot until we test it. And that's the reason that I'm a fan of the test everything approach, mm. right? We may think we have the ultimate listing, but until we split test it, we don't know. Right. 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 And even the the guy, the, the variation of, you know, say the title that won the last split test that got us more sales, that's not necessarily the best title for us. There may be another keyword or another phrase that ends up getting us more sales. Right. So we might drop for garlic press, but if we rank higher for stainless steel garlic press, we may end up getting more sales even though it's a longer form search term, right? So until we test it, we don't know. And the same thing applies to the back end keywords and your search terms in the back end there. So I would say just looking at your titles, there may be a better variation of those keywords and of those titles that you can use to get to the broader market. Now, Gary has kind of a niche product inside of a very, very big market. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't also appeal to some of the people in the bigger market. Right, right, right. They're not only looking for the other variations of this product. They may be interested in in Gary's product, even if they're not Gary's ideal customer. Mm -hmm. So if we can get it in front of them, they're going to buy it. Now, obviously, we still want to market to our ideal customer, but you're going to pick up some additional sales from those people who go, oh, that's cool. Right. And if you can find some of those broader keywords, they may actually be more beneficial to you. Right. But again, uh, going back to you won't know until you try. Right. So and you, you won't know until you try is the, the answer there. Yeah. So, OK. So question two is kind of what you were just kind of talking about. Why don't you kind of go through that really quickly because it is related to keywords. Um, but I think it makes sense even using the example that he gave us. I think we can read that um, that particular example. So, Chris, if you want to do that and then we can dig into that because it's more about sponsored ads and just keywords in general in the listing. Secondly, I wanted to improve our keywords. We're currently using many of them, including targeting some of our demographics rather than our products. So a demographic example might be something like a Christian or a Republican, right? Yeah. For example. So should we just focus on keywords directly on the specific product with many long tail variations and not the more general terms like the product term itself? So garlic press, right? Mm. We have been running some sponsored ads and we'll now be doing a lot more of them after hearing your podcasts. Uh, but most of the conversions we're getting are for our brand name and not for the actual product description as one may guess. Any thoughts here? So first, Gary, I would say take a look at the search terms report and not at the keyword report. Um, just double check that you're not making an assumption there on what the the uh, uh, 
keyword is, uh, the search term, I guess, would be the correct term there, Scott, right? Yeah. On what the actual customer search term is. And because just, just looking at the brand name, it may be the trigger for what someone is searching for. Does that make sense, Scott? Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And maybe we can just kind of dig a little bit into that because anyone listening right now might be starting to get a little confused about the pay-per-click and, and how, it, how that it's works. Always, it's always worth a recap because yeah. it's something that even I catch myself doing sometimes, right? So when you run a PPC campaign, a lot of people just look in the backend dashboard. And all that you see in the backend dashboard is the keyword. So Amazon has keywords and they have search terms. Search terms are what customers actually type in when your ad shows up and keywords are the, the words or phrases that trigger your ad to show up. So if you have garlic press as a keyword, people can type in bench press and in broad match, you might still show up for that. But garlic press shouldn't get credit for that sale. Bench press should. Right. Amazon doesn't show you that in the back end. You have to download the search terms report and look at the search terms column. So what I do is I download that search terms report and I just delete the keyword column because I don't care what triggered it. I just care what showed up. Right. So just double check that, Gary. You may already be doing that. I just always like to throw that out there as a disclaimer because looking at your brand name and then your product titles, either one of those could be the case. So make sure you're not making the assumption based on the brand name. If those are brand driven searches, that's fantastic. Right. That's really cool. Um, just keep in mind that it may not be if you're looking at the keywords instead of the search terms. Um, so in, in addition to that, I would say, Gary, ramp that up. Um, and I would also take a look at the ones he said most of the conversions are coming from the brand name. So take a look at the conversions that aren't the brand name and see what is triggering those and see if you can start to incorporate some of those words into your back end search terms and into some of your other types of PPC campaigns, like your phrase or your exact match. And if you guys are a little confused about what we're talking about there, I believe it's theamazingseller.com slash 119 mm -hmm. is the episode you're going to want to take a look at for that. Uh, we talk about all of the different match types and some of the more advanced PPC stuff in there as well. Yeah, and um, just just kind of digging a little bit deeper into that, though, just for people and, you know, for Gary listening, uh, you know, once you start to run the campaign, and I'm assuming it was in a broad match, so in the broad match, it's like you said, that's just the trigger word, that's not necessarily the one that they they search for it, although it could be, but but it, most of the time it's it's not, it's an extension of that or it's got an add-on in the front or the back, but then what you can do is you can strip them out and put them into a, into another campaign and then you can you can either run them broad again or you can then just go to a phrase match and that's going to be a little bit more specific but the other thing that you would want to do is take the keywords that are getting impressions that are getting clicks and, and obviously that are getting sales and then incorporate them in your listing somewhere, whether that's in the front end or the back end. So this way here, you can start to organically show up for them as well. So now you're going to get both ways that you're going to be able to show up for these keywords. And then that can give you more traffic because it sounds like people that are in your market, if they see what you have, they love it. So I think it's just like you said, Chris, being uh, a little bit more specific with who you're targeting, but then broadening that net out. Now, again, going back to if you're doing like Christians or Republicans or something like that, um, that's fine and all. But if you just throw a random ad up in front of those people, they might not be interested in what you have. It's just, you know, it's just because that's so that's so broad. You'd want to narrow that down and know that people that are in your niche. So then you would try to find one other word or one other item that could allow you to then drill into that specific part of your niche. Does that make sense, Chris? 
Right. So so rather than targeting maybe Christians, it would be Baptists or yes. Catholics. Yep. And rather than targeting Republicans, it might be conservatives or Tea Party Republicans. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just broadening or narrowing, I guess, would be the word that I'm looking for there. Narrowing that niche down just a little bit so that it calls out to them, but broadening out the base as well. I understand where you're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. And so so, Gary, you know, long story short, yes, I would be scaling those sponsored ads as much as you can. Um, and he did send us some screenshots and it looks like he does need to do some keyword trimming. Uh, some of those campaigns, it looks like are performing really well. And some of those are performing not so well, like 140, 150% average cost of sale. Uh, so it looks like there are some keywords in there or some search terms, Gary, that are performing really well for you. Take a look at those. The ones that aren't, I would probably take out. They may still be worth putting into the back end of your listing. Uh, because you're clearly making sales on those. And that's where I think a lot of people get confused because, Scott, we get the question all the time, like, where do I get these keywords or these search terms to fill out the search terms? Or how do I test different search terms? How do I pick the search terms that I want? And the answer is you use your sponsored ads to inform that decision because it's the only way you can use actual information. Yeah, it's real data. Right. So even if it's costing you, you know, even if a a search term is giving you 150% ACOS, that doesn't mean you don't want to rank for that. Mm -hmm. In fact, you may really want to rank for that. And the reason that it's costing you so much to make a sale there is because it's a $5 per click word, right? Or phrase. Right. So to me, that's definitely something. If if everybody else is willing to pay $5 to run an ad on that, then I definitely want to rank for that organically. So I'm going to put that into my backend search terms. I might even put that in my title just to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it doesn't hurt. And if it makes sense that that's who you're calling out, then put it in there. Um, obviously, if it's something that's kind of random that you don't want in your title, then you'd put that either in a bullet or uh, put it in your back end. I mean, again, just you want to put it somewhere where where it's going to be able to be found by Amazon. Again, they're scraping your listing and that's telling them what your listing is about. And then if you start getting uh, searches and then sales through those keywords, that's going to help you rank for those keywords. Uh, so it kind of all works hand in hand. It sounds like there's definitely room for improvement. There definitely sounds like there's room for improvement. So if you're already doing this and you're willing to spend a little bit of time on just this part of it, there's just the the, uh, the the pay-per-click and the sponsored ad stuff, that should improve your sales through pay-per-click, but then also should help you rank for other keywords. Now, as far as the, the first question going back to, you know, how come my rankings have slipped? Well, it could be less sales because maybe you have competition now. Maybe they're getting more of your sales. Or it could be because they're fulfilling it by Amazon and you're fulfilling it by merchant. So now all of a sudden Amazon is going to show that filter result because that's what they're searching for. And then you're not there and you're not found as easily as before. So by you sending in maybe 10 of your best items, because I get a que- you know th- this question a lot, I've got you know 100 SKUs. What, what do I do? Do I send them all in? What if I, what if I, what if they don't all don't sell? pick your top 10, top five, whatever, and start from there and then start to go through that process and then pick another one and add it and then slowly kind of ramp that that up. But I think definitely doing what we talked about in question one, as far as like looking and seeing how many are fulfilled by Amazon that you're allowing them to fulfill, uh, that's going to also allow you to be more visible when they start to filter down. I say they, the people that are searching, when they start to filter down uh, their their search results. Um, so that will help you, I think. So that's question one and two answer. Let's move on to question three, Chris. So question three is about follow-up emails, which is something we've been getting asked a lot about recently. So he says, with Salesbacker, do you always request in your initial emails uh, that the customers leave a review? And then if you get a bad one, can you get it kicked off for having a product review in it? So I guess what he's asking there is, do you always ask for seller feedback and then 
ask for a review? And the answer is yes, I do that. Scott, I believe you still do that as well. Yeah, we have for the most it. part. Yeah. And yeah. the 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 main reason you do that, guys, is one, seller feedback is huge. Uh, at least in my opinion, Scott, I think you feel the same way. I know Dom feels the same way because he's noticed a major boost since he started asking for feedback because Amazon just perceives you as an authority. Then it's kind of like getting a link to your website, right? Google sees that as authority. Amazon doesn't really have a way of gauging you as an individual other than seller feedback. So they know that if you get lots of good seller feedback that you're probably reliable so that they can, you know, rely on you on the back end. So they're probably willing to rank you a little bit better. And in my, my playing around with it, I've noticed that, you know, maybe purely anecdotal, but to me, it's still worth it. Plus the other thing with that and the, the thing that a lot of people miss out on, even if that doesn't exist, right? Seller feedback does play a role in things like velocity reviews and how soon, uh, Amazon will suspend your account. If somebody marks it as product, not as advertised, right? Mm. If they do a return and they pick the wrong return option. A lot of new sellers make the mistake of not asking for that seller feedback. And then if one person marks the product as not as advertised when they pick it as a return because they don't want to pay for return shipping, then their product listing gets suspended because they're the only seller on it, right? And if you will have a reliable seller history, Amazon's less likely to do that. Yeah, I, I kind of want to dig into that just a little bit because I think people gloss over the seller feedback. And... I think that that's important for your overall account. Very important. And I know Dom does too, who's a very seasoned seller. Um, and I just know personally, just even common sense wise, tells me that if you are launching a product, a new product, and you are brand new, and I'm launching one, and I've got a seasoned account that has 500 feedback, and you know I've got a 4.9 star rating and all of that, Right. If I launch the same exact product, we probably do the same optimization. I believe that I will rank quicker than you. I that's just my at least start at least to start. And when again, guys, remember if we start there, we're if we have a good product, it's going to start selling, and then we can stay there. Uh, But the other the other thing that I would say is, and it's funny because we were just talking about this the other night, myself and Dom, about the retail arb stuff because he was like. We're talking about who wins the buy box, right? Well, in some in some circumstances, if you have a brand new account and you're just starting to retail ARB and you have you know a certain toy that you're going to sell, let's say, and you've got a seasoned retail arbor that has the same toy, even though you might have a lower price, the new seller, the one that's been selling and that's proven to sell in that category and has and has had a good rating, will get the buy box quicker than you. Right. So it's just again, they want to make sure that the customer is getting the best seller. Um, and by you having a good seller rating is going to allow you to do that. So there's something with having a seasoned account. I think that even if you had a seasoned account and you were only selling a, a small volume, you could probably turn around. Chris, I, I'm just kind of randomly throwing the, throwing this out there. You could probably sell that account because it's seasoned, right? Because it's it's got authority and it's it's got a track record with a thousand feedback, right? It's it's like buying a domain name that's ten years old, even though it was sitting there dormant for ten years, right? right. Um, so again, going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but just to let people know that, you know, people, they, they, they kind of look over the feedback and the importance of it. And I think it's really important. So 
what we do is still, we'll, we'll send out the first email, make sure that everything's cool. We don't even ask for anything in that email. And then the second email would be like, Hey, get, you know, do us a favor, you know, head over to Amazon and let them know how we did for you. Uh, we would love to, uh, to hear your thoughts or something like that. Click here. And then they go over to your feedback. And then this way here, again, I want to totally put this out here, Chris, do not say if you think we did a great job and you're going to give us a five star review, head over here or feedback, head over here. Don't do that. They don't want that. We don't want you to do that, right? Just say, hey, just give me your your honest, you know, feedback. That's what we want. We want to make sure that we're doing, you know, good good by you. Um, so just don't do that. Uh, some people have asked me about that. They're like, Scott, I get inserts and products that I've purchased, and they say, if you're going to leave us a five star, go here. If you're going to leave us anything less than a five star, email me. Uh, don't do that. Uh, but yeah, if, if they leave a product review on the feedback, it still works that way. Now, I don't know that that'll always work like that, but right now they do not want uh, reviews of a product on the seller feedback. So if by chance you happen to get a negative review on a product in a feedback, you can submit that still and then they'll remove that because they don't want that as a product review. Product reviews are for are for the product and, and the review area, not for your seller feedback. Seller feedback is how did you do as a seller? Right. And to me, you know, the the leaving a negative product review there is kind of an added bonus. The real reason that I'm asking for seller feedback is I want my account to get that credit. Yes. And then if I can also get a product review out of that, you know, everybody gets fixated on the reviews. And when Amazon made that change a couple months ago where you couldn't give away uh, product in exchange for reviews anymore, everybody said, oh, well, how do I get more reviews? You know, the sky is falling. To me, reviews are always an additional benefit, right? Yeah. The main benefit of doing that is you get that seller feedback and then you can reach back out to that customer and say, hey, you know, I'm glad you you enjoyed that. Would you mind leaving me a review? It gives you a little bit of a gate and it's yep. just an added bonus that you also get that review. Now, if you want to ramp that up and there's some people in the PLC, I think uh, Jamie and Alan, I, I believe, have both done this. Guys, yell at me if you haven't. Uh, but to when they're first selling a new product, they just ask for the review. Yep. And they're OK with getting a couple negatives. Yep. And Chris, right, because, Chris Guthrie says, says the same thing. He's got yeah. a campaign built right into SalesBacker that allows you to go after the review, then the feedback, and then vice versa. And it's just, you know, that's preference. That's up to you guys. Yeah, totally and I, preference. I don't like doing that because I would rather have that that additional check step in there. That's just me. Yep. Um, yep. But if, if I really, you know, if I was launching a massively competitive product, uh, then I you may, may, yeah, you may, I may change my tune on that. Yep. Right. Yep. Because I need, you know, I, I feel like I need more reviews to be competitive. So, yeah, no, you, I think you have to look at your your product, your your market, you know, how competitive it is. And yeah, you may. It's like you it's like you said, Chris. I mean, if I was going into a competitive space, I may do that. And I may still do that in the future if I'm like, OK, I, I want to get more reviews. I'm going to have a lightning deal come up or something. So during that lightning deal time, I'm going to have 150 new sales. I'm going to go ahead and try to turn that into a, a review, uh, you know, through that process now because I'm going to just switch it. I'm going to make it where I'm going to ask for the review first before the feedback or vice versa. Um, right. So you can play around with that. And again, and in SalesBacker, uh, you can totally just, with a click of a button, you can change all that. It's just literally super easy. Uh, you guys know that I'm a, a big supporter of, uh, of SalesBacker. I have been for a while. Chris Guthrie's a great guy. It's a great tool. Um, if you guys want more information on that, you can always head over to the resources page, theamazingseller.com forward slash resources, and, uh, and check that out. I believe he's even got still a 60-day trial with no credit card, which is kind of crazy. Um, so, all right, Chris, let's wrap this up. We've been, uh, we've been yakking here for over 30 minutes and I know that we like to keep these two about 30 minutes. So let's wrap this up. What's your final thoughts for Gary? 
So long story short, Gary, it sounds like you are on the right track, but that you may just need to do some tweaking, right? And that's, you know, it tends to happen that things will change in our markets, especially if we're not very active about doing things like split testing. So my suggestion would be take a look at that search terms report first, see what's working for you in the sponsored ads, that pay-per-click, and then start to apply some of those lessons. Uh, the other thing, as always, and Scott, this is something you and I mentioned but didn't really talk about, uh, just from a conversion perspective, you may want to take a look at the photos in your listing. Mm. Um, they're fairly generic looking. It doesn't really sell the product to me. Uh, so you may be able to get a conversion rate boost that way as well. Uh, so take a look at the keywords, the search terms that you're converting for, and make sure you're applying those both in your title, your backend search terms, and make sure you're taking advantage of all of those in your sponsored ads. Make sure you're taking full advantage of Amazon FBA for any product that you know will move through there. And you have enough data at this point, I believe, to know that you are uh, know what you're moving and what you're not. So definitely take advantage of that. And I think you'll start to see your sales tick back up. Yeah, no, I, I love it. It's it's really cool to see that Gary is at the point now where it's really about tweaking, right? I mean, he's got products. That's not a problem, right? He already knows his market. That's already done. He's already proven that the market buys even on Amazon and off of Amazon. So there's a lot of different things you can do here. I think we've kind of outlined them. You probably want to go back and listen to this again or download the transcripts uh, or the show notes. Uh, but there's always stuff that you can do. But you really, you're, you're kind of through that initial stage of like, what am I going to launch? What market? Like that's already established. And you've already proven that it sells on Amazon. Now we just have to tweak that. Maybe like Chris said, bump your conversions, even though you might be getting 100 visitors a day. If you can take that from a 10% conversion to a 15% conversion, that's five extra sales a day, which is kind of crazy, right? So just look at all of these little things and these little tweaks. And I think if you do that, you're going to start to see uh, more growth. Uh, and uh, and then from there, just continually add in those other SKUs that you're starting to slowly do uh, FBA versus FBM. Uh, but uh, yeah, Chris, this has been fun. There's uh, I didn't really know where this was going to go when we first uh, opened up uh, Gary's email. And uh, as always, we kind of <laughs> dug through it a little bit. We we trudged through the, uh, you know, the the dirt and the mud and and, uh, you know, we, we got through it. And I think that this is going to be pretty valuable. So I want to thank you again, Chris. Let's go ahead and remind people the show notes will be found at theamazingseller.com forward slash 309. Again, that's theamazingseller.com forward slash 309. I will remind you, if you guys are brand new and you're listening to this and you're like, okay, guys, this stuff is just a little bit more advanced. I just want to get started. Um, Chris and I do workshops where we actually get on. We do actually two different workshops. Uh, one of them is... Uh, especially for people just getting started, the five phases to launching your product. And then we also do product research one as well. And we're starting to uh, run one now where we're actually going through the process of building external uh, lists so you can launch products easier, whether you have an established business or not. But if you want to learn more about our workshops coming up, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash workshop, and you'll see the, the most uh, up-to-date one there that we're going to be doing. You can register. We'd love to hang out with you. We do those live, and uh, we answer any questions you have there as well. So, Chris, I just want to thank you once again. This has been awesome, buddy. Absolutely. Anytime, my friend. Yeah, no, this is always fun. And uh, let's close this thing down together. See, I started it together. Let's end it together. Let's see if we can do this. Are you ready? Are you are you sweating a little bit now? Are you, are you a little nervous? Are you a little nervous to hit that take action note? I'm not nervous, and that's <laughs> probably an issue. I should be nervous. All right, well, let's do it. All right, guys, I've got to remind you that I'm here for you. I believe in you, and I'm rooting for you. But you have to, you have to. Come on, say it with me. Say it loud. Say it proud. Chris, on the count of three, 
One, two, three, take action. Have an awesome, amazing day, guys, and I'll see you right back here on the next episode.